Good morning, everyone. I want to give my welcome to you as well, and especially any of you that are visiting us. We know that September is often a time when people are looking for a church home. If you don't have a church home, you do now. We want you here. God loves you. We love you. Your home. Seats are pretty nice too, don't you think? <laughs> uh, uh, for those of you who, who haven't met me because I haven't preached for a couple of months, uh, I am the w kind of the second teaching pastor. Pastor Rob does about 50% of our sermons. I do about 25% of our sermons. And then the final quarter is our, our great young pastors that, that, that preach to us and, and guests that we invite. So my welcome to you all. I also want to say, um, since we talked about the Middle East this morning, this is a good time for me to tell you that... Uh, uh, my friend Kyle Reschke and I, Pastor Kyle, who works in global missions, uh, we're looking for about 20 people that really want to do cutting-edge mission. We're going to do a, a go team to the Holy Land. We, right now we're planning on leaving the day after Easter, and uh, we're going to be in Muslim villages sharing Jesus Christ. And then we'll have three or four days of a short tour of the Holy Lands. But if God might lead you that way, start listening because we're looking for a few good women and men to go with us who are willing to um, have great discussion with Muslim people who want to hear more about Isa or Jesus. Okay, I want to say and follow up on Pastor Ted again in case any of you just came in. Today I'm talking about sexual immorality. And uh, if you have children with you, you're, <laughs> like uh, Ricky said to Lucy, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do, all right? Okay, Lucy, Lucy, you got a lot of explaining to do, you know, so uh, that's what's happening today. Uh, be thankful that the Bible and our Lord Jesus Christ deal with everything in life. And so church is not a place where we don't deal with hard subjects. We're going to today. In fact, we're talking about going up current, aren't we? Look at the wonderful art that we've done to represent this series. And you kind of see the flow of culture, cultural mindset, what culture believes coming down at us. And we are called to stand against it and to bring God's truth into it and actually pursue pushing upstream, bringing God's truth to it. That's what we're about. Uh, friends from around the world, when we talk about how tough it is to be a Christian in the United States today because of the cultural mindset, they think we're sissies. They've never known what it was to be cultural mainstream. Most of the Christian world has never known. They are all about making Jesus known in the midst of cultural pressures. So we are too, and we join them here. Incidentally, let me say this to you. The places where Christianity is moving most powerfully in the world is where there's the greatest cultural pushback. So never think that this means we're in trouble. It doesn't. It means uh, report for duty. That's what it means. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, before I actually talk about sexual immorality, I've been asked to talk about another issue, and I'm glad to do it. No, I'm not glad to do it. I hate doing this. Um, but it's important that we do it. And I'm going to talk about what's called transgender issues. Okay? Now, the reason we're tying it into the sexual immorality day is not because I think it belongs there. I don't think it does. But it's because our friends in the LGBT category include it as the T. All right, so transgender. 
Notice that it's transgender. Look at the, what I have on the screen for you here. We're talking about gender issues, not sexual issues. We're talking about gender identity, gender confusion, or as the little bit I can understand transgender, it's, it's a gender incongruity. And for people that suffer from it, who are born with it, who deal with it at different gradations. For some people, it's, it's not a deep compulsion. It's minor, but for others, it can get more and more severe. It's incredibly distressful. In fact, they call it gender dysphoria, which means deep distress. Christianity Today, this summer, July, August edition, had some great stuff on it, and I've also suggested the leading book to you in this field. Approximately one in every 300 people or so in society have some level of gender dysphoria. And what that means is to one degree or another, a man who looks in the mirror symbolically sees a woman. And the woman who looks in a mirror sees in the mind a man. The best understanding we can give to it is that there's some sort of brain development issues that aren't right. Most of the world is not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Tsunamis are not the way it's supposed to be. And so too, even some creation of human beings doesn't come out in the classical male-female order. The way it's supposed to work is your biology and your brain mapping go the same direction. That's not always the case. And that's what causes this great distress or dysphoria. This distress or dysphoria. Um, research is being done in psychology. Research is being done in brain science. And one of the best explanations for it is just what I said to you. The biology goes one way and the brain development goes another and how one, one perceives themselves. Here's what they say to us, though, and I really applaud this. It doesn't have to do with environment. It's not about a little boy being raised um, maybe just by mom and all she had to give him was dolls and so he starts thinking that he's a woman. It's not environment. It crosses all cultures, crosses all generations and races. Secondly, it's not a matter of choice. I don't like what I am. I think I'll choose something else. It's as if everything in the person's mind is crying out they are something else. It's been made, if you will, brought to our public awareness because of Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner stuff this summer. Third, it's not a choice made for sexual pleasure. It's not a choice made for sexual pleasure. We're talking gender, not sexuality. That's the best I know how to do with it. I am not a scientist. I am a theologian pastor. And so I'll tell you what God does with it. God loves transgender people. And God's spirit and the resources of God's church remain available to all people in deep distress. 
If one in 300 have some level of tendency this way, this means in our church we have 10 or more people. Someone may be sitting here right now. God loves you. God may choose to heal you from it in this life if you know Jesus Christ. But if not in this life, you will be whole, complete congruity in your gender in the next. For we have resurrection bodies in heaven. We will be a church that cares and provides all of the resources of prayer, of healing, of community to friends that are in this. And that's what I have to say about that. All right. Yeah, yeah. Much more is being learned by those that know how to study this more fully. And um, I'm sure over the years we'll be saying more. But that's where we are right now. Let me pray. Father, unto you who created the whole earth, who yourself grieved when the fall took place, you, Lord, are the one who cares for all people for whom it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we pray that you will comfort, nourish, and enable to flourish these in this special category of life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sermon two. <laughs> This one's even harder than the first one, all right? We're going to talk about sexual immorality, but not until I get to do at least two minutes with you on sexual pleasure, okay? What? Balcony, are you awake now? Yeah, okay. Once upon a time, sex was pure just like everything was pure. We call it in the garden, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. The trees shone with the shimmer of the reality of God. The fruit and the vegetables were pure and created a fit human body. Yeah, everything was perfect and beautiful. And humankind, male and female, created in God's own image. And is there a better portrait of being created in God's image than God literally breathing his own breath of life into humankind? Wow! Created in God's image and likeness. And then God is with them in the garden. He speaks with them in the perfect garden. He walks with them. He walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. You know, it's, ooh, it's all good. And there's male and female. And there is marriage, the union of one man and one woman. And sexuality is the great consummation of that and a great sustenance in perfection and in purity and God watches it all and goes oh yeah good 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 God with us in his perfection sex was part of that but this is a oh no I got to put up my good slide uh, yeah yeah the garden. No, 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 go back to the... Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. This is my fault, not yours. The garden, pure pleasure in every way. That's the way God made it. But then comes the fall. 
Then comes sexual immorality. Then comes the disordering, or the word I like to use, and I don't think it's in the dictionary, because every time I try to type it in my notes, I got that stupid little red line under there. And I say, all right, I spelled it wrong. And what does it say? No suggestions. That's because I guess it's a new word, but I like it. Everything unraveling in life and even sexual disorder. When I was 32 years old, Marie and I lived in California, and we were starting our second church. And I got together with the leading church pastor in the region where, where we were bringing this new church. And his name was Orville Schick, and he was really a great man of God. I was 32. He was about 65. And we had a long lunch, and in that lunch, I felt like I was getting... I've always longed to be with older men and help them, have them help me shape my life. <laughs> Trouble is, kind of hard to find them now. Uh, <laughs> you should look this good at 63. All right, all right. Um, so, so, but I got close to Orville. It was like a two-hour lunch. It was just a great time. And I started feeling free to really talk to him about deep, real things. And I said, Pastor Schick, does sexual temptation ever go away? Does it ever go away? And then I said, I'm only asking for my parishioners. <laughs> Does it ever go away? And he said, Lon, it's interesting that you asked me that. I was with a man just the other day who's a mentor to me. He's 85. I asked him the very same question. And you know what he said to me? I said, no, what did he say to you? He said to me, it hasn't gone away yet. When it does, I'll let you know. It's real. It's a part of the dysphoria and the dysfunction in lives. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. I want to give us a story from the life of Jesus Christ when he runs into somebody who's smack dab in the midst of all that happens when sexual immora immorality has found its way. Chapter 7, starting verse 36, it's on page number 1023 on the Bibles we provide for you in the uh, back of the seats. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, the Pharisee's a religious leader, and reclined at his table. Now, in those days, you didn't have tables that you sit down in chairs like we have today. They would, the table would be no higher than about a foot off the ground, and you would lounge, and you would lay down, almost recline, and up on your elbow, and that's how you'd sit and talk. And you'd, you'd be on your left elbow because you tended to eat with your right, and you ate with your hand. So just imagine that this is the situation. He's reclining at table. It's also kind of in the outdoor courtyard. This Pharisee's probably religious, and this is an outdoor meal, and people are milling about, and they can see that the great rabbi Jesus is there. There's your setting. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, codename immoral, codename town prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
And she stood behind him, and look what it says, everyone, at his feet, weeping. A continual sense of tears just falling. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wipes them with her hair. She kissed his feet. She poured her perfume on them. Now, can you see it? Can you see her coming from behind? He's reclined and his feet are behind him. And she kneels down quietly. Is this seduction? No. She's crying profusely, her tears so big, they're falling on Jesus' feet. She takes her hair down because a woman never had her hair down in public in those days. Her hair is down, and she literally takes her hair and starts wiping his dusty feet with her hair, weeping. And then she takes perfume, an alabaster jar, which for women of that day was probably what had been given to her for her wedding to be used as a sign of beauty and purity and perfection. And she pours that on his feet. Not on his head, not on his arms, not on his torso. This has nothing to do with sexuality. This has everything to do with a broken devastated, destitute soul. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this Jesus were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. Touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I'm going to stop there and I'll come back later. Let me just say this. Jesus knows who she is far better than that Pharisee does. I don't know how well he knows her, but I know how well Jesus knows her. I enter into this concept of sexual immorality by talking about a person whose life had fallen apart because of sexual sin. It's all around us. You know, talk about fighting upstream. There are people in our culture that believe that sex is actually a civilizing force. The great philosopher Hugh Hefner has this to say. The major civilizing force in the world is not religion, it is sex, Hugh Hefner. I think this is how God responds to that. The major disraveling force in the world is not religion, but it is sexual immorality. During the first hour when I was preaching, my phone started ringing. Some people in the front heard it. 44191, 44 means England. It was a man that I'm working with whom I've mentored for 13 years who has been a preacher all over Africa, India, Pakistan, and the United States who two months ago was caught in an affair. I've been with his wife. I've been caring for the daughter. 
And now finally he's turning away from the affair and trying to find his way back to God and to his family. I don't know if he's going to get there or not. I don't know that his wife can ever forgive him. I don't know that his daughter, who has her own issues that she's dealing with, can. These are precious people. Sexual immorality equals devastation. Rips into the fabric of a person and it rips into the fabric of relationships and it destroys the relationship with God and on and on and on and on it goes. That's why God put fences of protection around it. Fences of protection. You ever seen a picture of a nuclear power plant? And you're a ways away from it, standing outside a very large cyclone fence with barbed wire all around it and a big sign that says, Danger, keep out. What's inside is good. Nuclear energy. But when you step inside the fences where you don't belong, it turns into what? Nightmare and disaster. When God created sexuality, it's a gigantic yes and good. But when we try to climb over the fences of God's protection, it ends up in devastation. God's law and God's spirit provide fences of protection to preserve the good and save us from disaster. There's no law God gave just because he says, I'm going to give a law they don't like. And I'm God, I can do it. God's laws are given so that we don't break them because God knows when we break them, we break. It's not what we were made for. And so, I want to talk about four fences that God has put around this beautiful thing of pleasure called marital sexuality. Fence number one, keep out. Adultery. Let's read the text that we have on the screen. This is Jesus himself speaking. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus is actually quoting from the garden passage, Genesis chapter 2. When God first creates marriage, a man and woman come together in commitment and then they have beautiful sexuality as the bonding of both souls as if it becomes one flesh. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Jesus is commenting on it, however, here by repeating that concept. See where he says, so, second to the last line, they are no longer two, but one flesh. And that bonding together of two souls into one is a holy, beautiful thing that's not meant to be broken. And when it breaks, 
causes devastation. Therefore, let no one whom God has joined together ever separate. We still say that at the wedding ceremonies we do. So that's the concept here, that God created the beauty of sexuality to be a bonding aspect, a psychophysical union of humans together. And it is good. It is great. Except when it gets broken and people climb over the fence. Ashley Madison. How many of you have heard of Ashley Madison? About five or six weeks ago, I learned that there was a thing called the dark web. I have trouble handling the light web, much less the dark web. But evidently, there's an internet you can get to, which is a place of all sort of sordid thing. 25 million websites that have to do with pornography. Ashley Madison was a dating site, and it had this as its slogan. Life is short, have an affair. Life is short, have an affair. Why'd they name it Ashley Madison? Two most popular girls' names in the year it was created, 2002. 39 million people had signed up on Ashley Madison for its services. Some holy hackers got a hold of it. <laughs> Usually I don't think of hackers as holy, but I kind of do, these guys, whoever they are. And they let it be known that they had hacked it and they knew every name of every member of Ashley Madison. And within days, 32 million people had withdrawn from Ashley Madison. But it didn't matter. They already had the names. The Sunday after Ashley Madison names were released, 400 ministers in America resigned their pulpits. Two days ago, I was on the phone with a friend of mine who's the president of a Christian college, and he said, Lon, I need your counsel on this. One of my key leader deans is a member of Ashley Madison. It hits everywhere. It's strong. It's powerful. And wherever an affair takes place and there is a marriage and it happens outside the marriage, it is the breaking of that psycho physical bonding that God has created. And the Bible calls it adultery. It's horrendous. It's painful. Thank God it's forgivable. Because it is. But the devastation it causes, the definition, devastation I'm seeing in my friend, my evangelist friend, oh God, save us. Fence two, keep out. Pornography. Pornography. The word pornography is derived from is porneia in the Greek. And porneia literally means all kinds of sexual immorality. All kinds of sexual immorality. Essentially, when we use the term pornography, we're talking about the sin of the imagination. And while we tend to think it's just about the Internet today, it's, it's, it's always been greater than that. Ancient pagan worship almost always attached male and female images to its worship. And sexual ecstasy was a part of worship of the spirit gods. 
statuary in the ancient world. In our world, billboards, magazines, websites, romance novels. You say, why do I bring that up? Because someone who has a gift of writing can create more tempting experience through words than any image can ever do. And it's everywhere. Jesus said, and we've got a slide for you on this, Matthew 5, 28. He was speaking about this reality when he literally says, in verse 27, he says, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. We already dealt with that, didn't we? Look at this one. He says, I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The imagination causes infidelity all the time. The imagination causes men to look at women who, who is not theirs and want things that they shouldn't have and imagine that it would be good. It isn't. And no one is saved from it in our culture. The uh, Catholic Bishop of Baltimore who's a leader in the field of studying this, says no person in our culture can separate himself from the scourge of porn that is all around us. We know from neuroscience that images written and pictorial have the power to do the same thing inside the human mind that drugs will do to it. There's a release of endorphins dopamine, serotonin. And just as with drugs, once it starts hitting you, you need more and more and more to be able to have your pleasure thermometer engaged. Let me show you what C.S. Lewis had to say about it way back in the 1950s. This is a little piece that he wrote in a letter, and, and, and the theme of it is the harem of invisible brides. The harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifices or adjustments, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions which no woman, and may I add, and no man can rival. Among those shadowy brides he's always adored, always the perfect lover, no demand is made on his unselfishness. No mortification ever imposed on his vanity. In the end, they become the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. It's not real. But it grabs our longing to be the center of our world. I don't know where you ladies and men are grabbed by pornography, fantasy, imaginative sexuality. Oh, but it's a danger. It's a danger. Fence number three, keep out. Sex outside of marriage. Sex outside of marriage. <laughs> I got hit by this one. I... I grew up 20 miles outside Berkeley in the late 60s and 70s. The whole counterculture thing was going everywhere. I knew what sexuality was for. I'd already moved upstream. Everybody in my generation did. 
Sex is for, with someone you're in love with. If you're in love, sex is right. Right? The young woman that I was seeing at that time didn't agree with me. I loved her. She loved me. That's the way that it ought to be. But she knew Jesus, and I was just starting to know Jesus. So she took me to this youth director, and I made my case. We really loved each other. And at age 18, we had the right to know we did because life's so put together. And I'm, I'm convincing him with all my facts. And he finally says, okay, 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 go ahead, have sex. But let me do the wedding first. And, and he began to explain that God knew how great sex was, and it was so great, and it was so bonding, it was only intended for the one person to whom you give your life to. Otherwise, you're climbing over the fence. I didn't like him after that. <laughs> In today's world, that's still gone. You guys, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. Here's another one that's gone. It's just hooking up. It's just plumbing. It's just temporary enjoyment. Why not? With whoever, whenever. You don't know what you're doing to your soul. Psycho-physical bonding. You will carry images in the wallet of your heart for the rest of your life. That's why God says don't climb over the fence. And finally, fence four. Kind of the same, cohabitation. Because generally when there's cohabitation, there is a mutual sexuality. Um, but I just, I just want to remind you that one of the things about cohabitation is really false. You know how we all think, or you all think, or some of us think that, hey, th that's really a good way to find out if you're going to work in marriage. You cohabit before you make the commitment. Well, the research is just very clear. Rob said this last week, I think. I'm just repeating it. 65% of those who cohabit before marriage 65, you have a 65% greater chance of divorcing after you marry if you cohabit beforehand. Why? Because you didn't enter in with commitment no matter what. If you don't commit, you will quit. Why? Because sometimes that perfect wife is not perfect. And sometimes that perfect husband, as we know, is not perfect and only commitment has the chance of holding it all together. In fact, uh, couples that think they're going to live together for life and just decide to cohabit and don't make the commitment of marriage, 500% greater chance of splitting. Yeah. Well, summary. The Apostle Paul cries out from 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Okay? Now, 
about 99% of us sitting here are guilty (laughs) in some way, shape, or form. I get that. I get it. Hang on. Stay with me, okay? What do we do? We'll arrest it now. Get back over on the other side of the fence. And for especially men that have trouble with internet pornography, you need to join CovenantEyes.com. CovenantEyes.com will help you set up more rigorous filters on your computer. And secondly, CovenantEyes.com will tell you you need to find one man or more with whom you're blisteringly honest about whenever you're struggling. Accountability and filters. CovenantEyes.com. Number two, accountability two. A lot of us in our church have close friends or we're in small groups, same-sex small groups. Isn't there a guy there or a woman there that you can be blisteringly honest with to say, I'm attracted to another person? And you can say, pray for me that I won't sin. I have two men in my life, Jerry and David. They stand alongside me in everything that afflicts me, including this area. And they check in on my life. It's time for small groups to become thick fellowship, as Rob's been saying, where we're willing to go deep with a few people so we can really deal with the pains of life. And third, our church has some incredible help. Uh, If I didn't go to our church, I'd love her anyway because of this area called support groups. Look what we provide to help you wherever you're at. Number one, preparation for marriage. Learn about it before you get into it and see the beauty of sex within it. Re-engage, which marriage maintenance, (laughs) it's great for anyone to go to re-engage. Marie and I are thinking about going, and I I give our marriage about an 8.5 or 9 out of 10. We're going to go anyway, maintenance. Or makeover. (laughs) Yeah, go with that. Um, Divorce care. So many of us, of you, have, have stepped outside of a marriage. I, I get it. God forgives. But there's a lot to learn to help you carry on with life. Compass for men uh, and sexual addiction. Faithful and true. Women close to someone with sexual immorality issues. Chai. Courageous healing of abuse. Could be sexual abuse. And isolation. Chai is not only for sexual abuse. It's for any kind of abuse. All right. Here's what I want to say. On our website, you'll find telephone numbers of people to call for all these things. And guess what? They don't tell. This is confidential. And you can find help in these groups. Finally, this is what I want to say in my last two minutes. If you still have Luke 7 in front of you, I want you to see what Jesus does with a person who is thoroughly, thoroughly broken because of sexual immorality. Look at verse 47. Jesus says to the Pharisee, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And her great love has shown. 
Whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, I love this, just those words. Jesus turns to her. It's one-on-one. And he looks that precious, weeping, broken, devastated woman in the eyes, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, and your faith has saved you. See, you're only saved when you realize the only place that works really in life is at the feet of Jesus. Only there do your insatiable longings get met. Only with him do you have eternal life. She will pour out her perfume on him. He will pour out his blood for her to forgive her. She's right where she belongs, with Jesus and Jesus alone. Only there, only there, only there. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal your presence as we just sang about to every man and every woman that is here. And Lord, may we see in your eyes the way that the woman saw in your eyes your forgiveness and your desire to make all that is wrong come right and to save. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and especially in sexual immorality. Jesus, we want to climb back over the fence where you are and cling to you, the true source of all pleasure. Amen and amen.